You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today we have with us Donna Henderson, CMO of Evoke Data Center Solutions. I'm extremely excited about this guest because she comes highly recommended. And all you have to do is take a brief glance at her background and understand why she is a sought after executive. She's held vice president roles at AT&T, BlackBerry, and Samsung Electronics. Brings an excellent mix of experience in sales, marketing services, customer experience, and more. Donna, thank you for taking the time and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. (laughs) It's our pleasure. So we always like to start at the beginning with kind of an oddball question just to get people to know you a little bit better. Would love to hear about a hobby or a passion that you have that perhaps people that know you more from the business side of the world may be surprised to learn about. Yeah, I think they will be a bit, right? Um, <laughs> I have I have a real passion, believe it or not, for residential real estate. <laughs> Some people, really? people, yeah, I know it's very odd, but I do have my real estate license, and I have personally built five homes. I've also invested in a custom real estate builder's business. And I really hope, I really hope that after I retire, that I will be spending the majority of my time building and rehabbing homes. So it it seems like a very odd fit, but I got into it because it was such a relief for me. So I was really always busy technology-wise and working, working, working. I found that painting walls and plastering walls and doing things like that was just a a real good stress relief. So that's how I kind of got started. And then I started buying properties and selling properties and building houses. Wow, no, that's um, the opposite I love side it. of the coin from tech. I mean, <laughs> I know it's so odd, right? It's just—I told you it was going to be very odd. Yeah, that's great, um, though. I mean, we've all got them, right? There's something. There's a passion that moves all of us. It's great to hear. It's extremely balanced, though. I mean, with all the hours you spend on the tech side of it, and then get to do that. My mother it's was a little more creative. You know, you get to use that creative side of your brain and and forget about all the rest. Right. <laughs> Yeah, my mom was a realtor when we were growing up and I, I've spent more than my fair share of time helping uh, her listings, quote unquote, paint walls and move stuff out and stage houses <laughs> when I was younger. So excellent. All right. So rather than ask one of those typical boring uh, questions about, hey, run me through your background, anybody can check it out. It's on LinkedIn. I'm more curious to learn when you look back at your career, BlackBerry, Samsung, AT&T, what are the biggest takeaways from each of those opportunities that you carry with you today? You know, so both of those, I would say mostly at BlackBerry and Samsung, I really learned a lot. First off, I learned to never assume that everyone is on board with your new strategy. And for that matter, it actually happened at AT AT&T as well. (laughs) Um, Because in all those cases, I was brought in to actually start a new line of business. And in the case of AT&T, for instance, it was actually data centers. So when I was at AT&T, I was actually, which at the time was called SBC, I was actually responsible for building two of the data centers. So I was always in these jobs where we were bringing in a new strategy or a new line of business. And what I, what I really took away from that is that 
executives in a lot of cases were saying the right things. In other words, they were saying yes, and they really meant no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, and in the case of BlackBerry in particular and Samsung, you know, these companies were so deeply married to transactional hardware sales. And here I come bebopping in, you know, trying to convince them that they need to move to a services portfolio. <laughs> so that that was probably the most challenging thing. It's first what I would do different instead of our team. And in my case, it was the executive that hired me and everybody around me. We were really pushing the strategy from the top down. You know, I would start out with a group of evangelists, right. internal evangelists, external evangelists, allowing more users to drive the change versus me trying to drive that change. I would also meet more one-on-one you know, with key executives so that I was better able to gauge their level of support and commitment. Because in some of those cases, it was a real surprise for me to have spent months on something thinking they were saying yes, <laughs> and really they didn't want to do it. Um, and in some cases, we exited the strategy. So that's my key learnings from a few of those companies and trying to bring in a services portfolio into a hardware company. That's a hard. I mean, that's a hard change. That's that's paradigm shift yeah. transformation. Which, in, especially in organizations the size of those, I mean, that's difficult to get them to change just about anything due to the size and complexity of the orgs. I, I can't imagine how how difficult it was to try to be the agent of change for a true paradigm shift. Yeah, you know what's fun though is to look back and see where they are now, and to realize that they are executing against some of those strategies. <laughs> it just took them a lot longer than I would have expected. So right. that's the other thing I learned is, is patience. I mean, some of these companies, especially these big companies, to your point, I mean, it takes them years to shift, right? Right. And so I, I've had to learn that one a few times the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> and so how do those experiences inform your approach to being the CMO of Evoke today? Well, the good news about my team today is, is that we're all very, very close. But I've learned to spend more time with each one of them individually versus trying to present my thoughts and ideas and strategies to the entire team. So I also have had to spend a lot more time educating the team because in some cases you know we have a few people that didn't necessarily come from this space and because of my AT&T background and because Evoke is a carve out from AT&T I'm able to educate and share with my team the culture within AT&T so that they're better able to adjust but I, I would say that the, the biggest thing that I try to do now is just spend more one-on-one time with each one of the executives, get their buy-in, implement their ideas. And of course, it's always helpful because then they have skin in the game. So when you go in front of the larger group, they're very, very supportive of what you're trying to do. Right. It's more, it's more of an individualized consensus building approach. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I, I read that was also something I learned when I was at both Southwestern Bell and, and AT&T. I used to do that. I used to go around all the executives and get their buy-in. And, and unfortunately, a lot of times when I got to the bigger table where somebody had to sign, everybody was like, well, I'm not so sure, you know? So, um, 
spending a lot of time on an individual level is really important and they have to see their work. They have to see that you have inputted their suggestions. And, and once, once they see that, it's kind of hard to say no, right? Right. Do you, do you think that's partially generational shifting, you know, from, from the baby boomers through Gen X to, to millennials? I mean, I know everybody talks about millennials in, in negative mm-hmm. form, but it's more, it's more just about making sure that, uh, I think you said it really well, their input is listened to. They want to be listened to. They want to see, you know, hey, I had something to do with this component of the overall thing. So I have some ownership and skin in the game. Have you seen that be more of a generational shift or more just of a market employment type shift due to the influences of say customer experience and and digital transformation on people? I think especially with millennials, they, they definitely want to see, they want to participate, right? They want to be heard and they want to make sure that you've incorporated their thinking. For like boomers, <laughs> I, would, I would probably say that I think the same, that is also true of boomers or, you know, maybe Gen Y or whatever. But I think it's a little different. You know, they're more risk adverse, right? And if um, they feel like they've had you know, they've been able to participate and they see that the other executive has participated and et cetera, et cetera. They're more likely to come together and agree on a strategy and solution, right? Yeah, but, I like that. Risk well, aversion is a big deal. It's a huge deal, especially not so much with millennials, by the way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> They'll throw that over the wall. And, and that's probably one of my biggest challenges is, you know, having slowing them down, Right. right. And, and making sure that they've thought about things from an end-to-end perspective and really thought about it from the demographics, not only of people internally, but the demographics of our customer. Right. So, you know, our customers or the demographics are pretty interesting and they're a little slower to adopt. So we have to, we have to temper that with whatever we do. Excellent. And so when you look at, you know, carve out from AT&T Evoke, a lot of things going on to, to bring it up to speed. What currently is your favorite thing uh, about your role that you get to do today? Oh, I you know. I love the fact that I can do multiple things. So my group is organized around a lot of different disciplines and I have been involved, you know, from the original agreement back in June all the way through the signing of the agreement on December 31st, which was an interesting day to sign, by the way, Um, (laughs) December 31st. I was deeply involved in contract negotiation. I was deeply involved in looking at existing processes, systems, tools, people. But my passion is really around learning. I love positions that allow me to learn and allow me to experiment. If I'm not learning, I know enough about myself that I won't operate at 100%. I, <laughs> I, get, a, I get a little bored, I guess. Right. So every day, yeah, every day I learn about new tools that are available that will help us improve client experience. And, you know, my background allows me to see things from multiple points of view. So when we, when we have been considering new tools, which we've been doing a lot of, I don't think about how cool it might be because there's a lot of cool things out there. I mean, like a lot of cool things out there. <laughs> it, it might, it might be, you know, they might really help the customer or I look at it in a way that says, okay, is this just another way to reduce costs? 
So when I, I look at tools, I want to make sure that they make sense, not only internally, but they make sense for our customers and we're not going to make things worse and we're not just doing this to save money, that this is really going to improve the customer experience. So I love that. I love that. I've learned more in the last few months about some of these marketing tools that are now available than I probably did 10 years ago, which is, you know, 10 years combined, which probably tells you about the speed of change and the speed of deployment now. Oh, yeah, so, it's amazing. It's, it's crazy, right? I mean, it's crazy what some of these people have developed. And, and I love it. I love it. But I'm very, very cautious about it. Well, I mean, I think that come. I mean, I think that's where the you know you talk about millennials throwing risk over the wall. I think that's where the experience of you know, hey, we need to slow it down a little bit and make sure that we're not just going, hey, this is cool, I want to buy it, because then cost goes, you know, margins suffer, costs go through the roof. Is it a tool that somebody's going to use at the end? I like I like your approach of let's look at it from the customer back, right? I spent ten years doing uh, UX, selling UX services, so designing digital oh, wow. interfaces. <laughs> So doing persona development and, and all of that stuff from the customer back, making sure that whatever you're putting in front of them created the most optimized frictionless experience. And it's still... To me, it's almost become second nature. So it's refreshing to hear you say that. But I still run into a lot of organizations where the first thing they look at is the cost impact. And I'm not saying that's not important. Yeah. But if we're making decisions from there, you know, it's kind of like anything you develop. If you put a nail in the wrong place now... By the time the house is completely built, you've got a crooked wall because you didn't take the time to put it in the right way. It's going to end up costing you more money. And so to hear that... Yeah, I love that real estate analogy. <laughs> I, brought, I brought it home for you. I brought it home for you. I was thinking about that. I was like, oh, I think I got a real estate work. Um, so the, you, know, you mentioned the tools and stuff. And it's, it's moving so fast, right? The MarTech 5000, mm -hmm. the cute little word that we all call it. There's over 6,700 companies in the MarTech 5000 because new tools are coming out so often. Are there ones that, you know, or trends that you're seeing that really excite you? Yeah, you know, I've been working on one. In fact, we're in the process of, of turning it up now. And it's a conversational chat service. <laughs> you know, I, I have an opinion about, you know, intelligent bots and, you know, little guys <laughs> talking up all the time on the screen. Um, and I don't want to be that. But this particular tool I'm looking at really has potential to not only, you know, provide support for my customers, my external stakeholders, but also my internal stakeholders. So we're being very careful about how we deploy it because I absolutely hate chat boxes that pop up the minute I go to a site and say, can I help you? And then they follow me around, which is right. even worse after I've, after I've told them, no, thank you. You cannot help me. But this particular one has my, has piqued my interest because it can interface, you know, with my sales guys calendars. It can provide, you know, answers first because we're developing playbooks. So the um, bot will be able to deliver answers to the customer directly and also more importantly to my internal customers, right? Especially right. with what we've done here with a car about, everybody's got a lot of questions about a lot of things. And this particular service will allow us to even be able to support our internal customers. So, you know, my goal is not to irritate, um, but to serve up support based on how an individual wants to be supported. So if they don't want to chat, don't chat, right? If they want an answer, get an answer. If they want to talk to a salesperson, we'll connect you with a salesperson. We'll book a, we'll book a date and a time for you to speak to somebody direct, or we'll give you the number to talk directly to our service center. So 
we're trying to make it very human and, and, and very interactive. And again, serving the customer the way they want to be served, not the way I think they should be. Yeah. And that, it, we've come a long way since Clippy, the little Microsoft clip yeah, thing, yeah. or the little yeah. Einstein thing that sat in the bottom of the, of the Microsoft Office products. We've come a long way. So that self-service <laughs> is extremely important. People want information now. They want it when they want it, how they want it, and where they want it. So enabling that, I think, is a big, a nice trend in, in the MarTech stuff that I'm seeing. I, I'm glad to hear you say you're being careful, though, because I have run into a couple of those bots where I'm like, no, no, I said no once. Mm-hmm. Now, why are you asking me the same question again? <laughs> and it can get exactly. a little... Exactly. <laughs> and it's funny. I have, a, I have a new employee that's working for me. She's fabulous. And, you know, she is a millennial, you know, and I love that about her, right? And so she speeds down these paths sometimes and I go, whoa, let's go back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's, let's slow it down. Make sure it works, right? Make sure we're addressing the customer needs. And, you know, it's just been a lot of fun. We're having a lot of fun with it. Excellent. So can you give, just for our audience, a quick overview of Evoke, kind of the mission and, and, and offerings of Evoke? I know we didn't cover that at first. And we say data center, that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but would love to hear kind of the, the elevator pitch of this is Evoke and, and what we're after and what we're trying to accomplish in the market. Sure, sure. First off, we are a multi-tenant data center service. We have 31 retail co-location facilities across four continents in 10 countries. We offer our clients a secure place to house their data that is redundant, which results in a, in a high level of uh, reliability. We're providing five nines right now, which is really, really important to a lot of our clients. Our goal though, is to really enable a data ecosystem that supports enterprises globally and to really develop innovative ways for our clients to leverage their current investments. We feel we do this by offering a cost-effective, reliable solution that's going to allow our customers to to, to grow from a data perspective. Our mission, however, (laughs) I mean, it's pretty lofty, is to house the world's information and make it universally accessible. Ooh, I like that. You spent some time on that. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we have some, we, you know, and it's kind of funny, Brooks, our, our partner, the, the company that, that actually, you know, invested in us is, is very much in, embedded with this mission. So we are absolutely on board with this mission and feel that this is, this is our, our lofty goal. That, it's great. I love it. It's well said. It's, it's very succinct and stated. I think everybody can, can access that and understand it. The challenge that, that I've kind of came across as I was preparing for this, so I ran across a, a Gardner report that, mm-hmm. that claimed the data center is dead, right? And it's now about digital infrastructures. And I'm curious how, you know, as you, you've been in this market, you know the market, now you got the carve out from AT&T. How does the state of the market, how did it impact your guys' decision to go to market or the, or the way that you chose to go to market or are continuing to go to market? First off, I, I don't believe the data centers are dead. <laughs> well, <laughs> if I, I did, I don't think I would right. be here. <laughs> um, I and having... <laughs> Having been involved in with data centers and the building of data centers for like many, many, many years, you know, I believe they will always be a key component in the overall strategy. Is it evolving? Absolutely. It's because of the rate of change. We have to evolve. And if you think about it though, what's evolving is the amount of data that's available and needs to be available to customers when and where they want it. 
smart cities, smart homes, the Internet of Things, all of this, the data, data in itself is exploding. So I don't believe that the data center will be dead. But I do believe that enterprises are very, very focused right now on application and the performance of the application. And they have been for some time, and I think it's just getting more and more prevalent. So that's going to really help decide where data is housed. So more than likely, in the clients that we talk about or talk to, you know, know that they're looking at a combination of possibly in-house, possibly in the cloud. Edge computing is a new big hot topic right now, pushing the data closer to the edge. But there will always be a need for big co-location centers. By the way, even the cloud providers, I mean, they have to store the data somewhere. You know, people say, <laughs> oh, it's in the cloud. Well, it's not in a cloud. It's in a data center somewhere. Yeah. And, and a, a lot of these cloud providers are choosing partners to work with like Evoke. So I don't believe that, again, that the data center business is, is going to shrivel up and die. In fact, <laughs> I just saw, I, I just saw a, a report that indicated that 37% of IT spend is actually going to be spent in co-location. And that was up from 24% in 2017. Um, in that same study, they said that 58% of all deployed IT racks will be in co-location centers, up from 40% in 2017. So we see it being very, very, a very, very healthy market. So no, colo isn't going anywhere. And, <laughs> well, and we plan and on being a key enabler. <laughs> It's always interesting, right? When you talk to people, they talk about the cloud and I always kind of chuckle because it's like, they, they literally will say the cloud and then ra like raise a hand, like they're pointing above their head. Like it's, it's up here somewhere. It's in the cloud. I know. So it's it's on somebody's machine right? in a room somewhere yeah. that has yeah. back that may be 25 to 30 feet underground for security purposes, but the cloud is just somebody else's machine. <laughs> not I mean you know it's, it's funny even even large corporations you know that had their own IT data centers right well what do you think that was right. it was a place it was a place to house their applications that people logged on and and, and took advantage of I mean so it's it's you know yeah. we're not going anywhere <laughs> the, the more things change the more they stay the same yeah. So when you look at, okay, so we've got the go-to-market, we've got the carve-out. I'm going to assume that the business objective for Vogue is obviously, you know, market share, revenue increase. Mm -hmm. How does that impact you? What's that, what's that create for your number one top priority you're focused on through the end of 2019? Yeah, it's a little different for us because it is a carve-out. We not only acquired the data centers, but we acquired a base of customers. So for me right now, not that this won't shift a little bit as we continue to mature, is relationships. You know, we've hired a direct sales team, which is a little different than a lot of our customers had experienced over the last few years. All of our direct sales teams have deep experience in this, in this space. They're not generalists. They're not carrying a bag with a ton of products and services and solutions. They're focused on co-location. So this relationship is very, very important to us with the existing customers, but we, and we have to be able to demonstrate value. We have to establish trust with them. And then, and then I think we can really talk about expanding their business portfolio with us. 
I mean, we're keeping an eye on the market and, you know, what we're committed to being very flexible, easy to do business with, and, you know, providing them a competitive solution that supports their goals. So it's a high, high touch model. And that's why I'm also being very careful about my little bot guy, um, <laughs> be, because we are very focused on that, that very high touch model. But we also recognize that there's a lot of things that customers want to be able to just look up themselves and self-serve. So um, I would say right now my top priority is relationship, relationship, relationship. All about the relationships. Well, I mean, I would assume with the carve out and the changes, you know, change, change creates concern for some people. So I would think some of it's like, Hey, you're still in good hands. You're actually in better hands. We've got a plan. This is how we're going to move forward. So I can, I can understand why those relationships, especially for the size of clients, I have to believe you guys are targeting is so critical. What are the challenges that you're seeing in terms of, you know, you mentioned direct sales force, and then you've got people on your marketing team that are very close. What kind of challenges are you seeing maybe with the sales team or in your marketing efforts that are kind of hindering the speed at which you're being able to mm-hmm. go after those relationships? Yeah. You know, car belts are tough. <laughs> I can't say I've actually been in a car belt before, but I have been in a merger, many mergers. Because when I was with SBC and AT&T, people know that we, they bought a lot of companies. So similar to mergers, you know, the experiences have been, or, or the issues or concerns I have have been around information gaps really understanding current processes, meaning what were my customers used to, what were my employees used to, and finding ways to really evolve that into a workflow, a new workflow, because one of the things that we are are trying to do here is we're going to bring up a whole new set of tools that are fully, fully integrated, which is also something that a lot of these older legacy companies that came together via mergers don't have the luxury of doing. So everything's a little broken and it's, held together with bubble gum. In our case, in our case, we're actually creating new tools that, that will be fully integrated. But we have to do that in a way where we don't break anything. So we have to completely understand what that customer experience was, what the customer experience will be, and make sure that everybody's on board and that it's working the way we want it to work. We don't want to cause more issues. We want people to walk away and say, hey, that's been so much better, right? That is so much better than what I'm used to. And and that, of course, will help us with speed um, and flexibility going forward with these guys. And when you bring a new, when you bring a new team, you know, you mentioned direct sales, some of, as you mentioned, some don't have that element as they come to market and the expertise in the space amazing but as you grow how do you keep them how how are you helping them understand that their their relationship with the customer actually is part of the overall customer experience right i, I work with a lot of sales reps they want to mm-hmm. i love them a lot a lot of them love to just talk 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 <laughs> so yeah. how to, and that can create some friction right so how how are you working to kind of i don't want to say put a magic bubble around them but to put a magic bubble around them so that they're not creating friction but they're they're enabled in a way that allows them to contribute to the positive cx or customer experience rather than be viewed as oh here comes another sales guy yeah, you know, and there's always those, right? I mean, you have situations <laughs> where there's just people that, that do like to just talk and they're very, very, and they're very, very salesy, right? They're very, sure. very salesy. So, you know, matching, you know, our sales force with the client has always been a passion of mine. You know, there are different profiles or personas for customers and there's different profiles and personas for salespeople. Right. 
And it's okay if this particular salesperson is not a good match for this customer. So recognizing that and not making it a negative for the customer and or the salesperson is real critical. So matching skill set to me has always been very, very critical. But, you know, we involve all of our sales teams. In fact, I'm getting ready to start a like a, an advisory board that includes all of our sales teams as well as our operations team. And I'm bringing those two together. And if I can empower them to make, to provide ideas and they can see those ideas being implemented, I think they will be more engaged in trying to solve the overall problem. But part of it is just quite, quite frankly, education, helping them understand what that end to end experience feels like, not just the one in the middle, you know, with sales funnel, right. um, but really, really giving them that whole experience. And I think that's, that's where my background really helps me personally, because I've had a lot of these different jobs. Being able to help our sales teams understand things from the eyes of other people, like the eyes of, you know, quite frankly, legal, HR, operations, as well as the customer, I think then they become you know, more embedded in the solution and providing customers with that great experience. Oh, and it's a collaborative environment. Everybody wins, right? And we, you know, I tell our customers all the time, in fact, I just, I was telling this to a class earlier this week, we are our best asset and our worst enemy, right? And we have to be focused on uncovering the other individual's perspective and hearing it. A lot of times all we do is talk. And if you're talking, you're not hearing. I I know that unfortunately from experience, that's a conversation for a beer. Um, But what we want to do is we want to make sure that it's that frictionless stuff. So I'm really glad to hear that the focus on CX has kind of become, even though I'm a a sales and marketing guy, the CX element of it is fascinating to me because the way people's expectations have changed as a result of all of the investments in you know, digital transformation or, you know, I, I use the Amazon app. Everybody has it. You can buy with one click. It gives you information where you want it, how you want it, all right, on your terms. Everybody, almost everybody is an Amazon Prime member because you get it. You get it really fast, right? And so that expectation is spilled into B2B. And it's, it's interesting. It's, it's changed some B2B marketing expectations as well as B2B sales expectations. I find that absolutely fascinating puzzle to watch unfold. Yeah. And, but you know, the, the, the actual profile of your customers is also real critical because this is a, this is kind of an interesting business because a lot of it, and you're, you're right. A lot of people would approach this saying, Oh, I'm going to put these end to end tools together and you know, we're going to be able to solution this on the fly and it's all going to be electronic and you're never going to have to see a person. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, and, and that's just not the way this business runs because it's, it's, it's about power and it's about, and understanding the applications and how much power does the customer really need and solutioning that. So in some ways, it's a little like real estate, by the way. Um, (laughs) How about that one? (laughs) Yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah, yeah. So I just think it it is all about collaboration and, and really understanding your customer and making sure you have the right people talking to the customer at the right time. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, and so, and I think I, I think the idea of doing the advisory committees is gonna, you know, from the start is gonna help you, even though it's a carve out, will help you get, you know, stay away from the siloed norm, right? We like to call it. It's like everybody operating in silos. If you can get sales and marketing and operations and everybody working as a consistent unit, then you're ahead of the game because I think there are organizations yeah. are struggling with that, and that impacts the customer experience. 
Yeah, and especially for us, because we actually have three different kinds of groups, right? If you think about it, we have these new employees that came to us from the AT&T carve-out. We have employees that came to us from the Antero group. And then we have brand new employees that we've hired off the street. So we're having to bring these three groups together, all coming, you know, all having different ways of looking at things and, and different past experiences. And so developing that culture across these groups is going to be critical towards our, our success in the future. Without a doubt. All right, let's change, let's change direction here a little bit. We ask all of our guests kind of two standard questions towards the end of each interview. The first is simply as a revenue executive, as a CMO, that makes you a prospect for, for many sales professionals. And I'm always curious mm-hmm. to understand, you know, we always say referrals are the best way into a new organization. There's some trust and credibility that's, that's you know, conducted with that. However, if an individual is, does not have a relationship with you, does not have someone that will refer them in, what captures your attention the way somebody should approach you to capture your attention, build that credibility so you'd give them 15 minutes of your time. What what have you seen working really well with you? So I get a ton of cold, uh, cold calls. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when I first launched the website, you know, I put my phone number up there and my email. So you can imagine how many calls and emails I was receiving for a while. But the ones that really capture my attention are those emails or those voicemails that are very, very concise. And more more importantly, they are customized to evoke. A great example is I recently purchased a media tracking tool. And the reason I did was the sales rep left me a really unbelievable voicemail. In fact, I wish I had saved it. And second, he had already prepared a demo using our data to demonstrate their capabilities. It was very smart, very savvy, and when I see those, it makes me stop. It makes me listen. It makes me look. I have gotten so many generic, hey, how can I help you? <laughs> or let me come help you. Or I have a solution that's going to solve all your problems. I'm sure you're trying to do this. I just delete them. Right. Um, so I would tell people to really, really pay attention to what you send. Personalize that email. Personalize that voicemail. And if you're trying to get my attention, my God, I'm in, I'm I'm a marketing person. Brand, <laughs> brand your emails. I mean, <laughs> make them interesting, right? And I, I I can't tell you the number that I have gotten that have just been you know little generic email. Yeah. So I would I would tell people step back and think about what your audience is or who your audience is before you you throw out an email or a voicemail. Yeah, we actually collect when we get them because of the business where we collect, uh, let's say, less than optimal emails and voicemails. So we have examples to show some of our some yeah. of the teams that we work with. There are some things. I, I actually got one in the middle of a workshop I was running, uh, came in through LinkedIn and had my name spelled wrong, like from LinkedIn. Like you oh just clicked, send me a message and you forgot the A in chat. Like, come on, that's just lazy. Um, all right. So last question, we call it our acceleration insight. If there's one thing mm-hmm. you tell sales, marketing, or professional services people, one piece of advice that if they listened to and implemented, you believe would give them the opportunity to exceed their targets, what would it be and why? Well, I'm very fortunate in that I have, as you mentioned, a very diverse background in both sales and service and operations. So it helps me stay very, very grounded. 
If given the opportunity, everyone should move around a bit, especially in their career. I find that this, this knowledge of these other groups has helped me tremendously. And it really helped me build relationships across the company and with our customers. I also try to tell people, don't forget from where you came, right? I came from a very modest background. I put myself through school. People gave me a chance to move ahead. I took their advice. I moved from sales. I moved from service. I moved to operations. But I also tell them, you know, check your ego at the door. What happens to a lot of people is once they move up in their career, they kind of forget, right? They forget from where they came and their ego gets a little bit bigger and bigger. Be real. Be real with people. Don't let the job go to your head. And finally, I would just say that, you know, customers and employees should always come first. Without them, we, we have no reason for being. <laughs> Absolutely. I love it. Perfect. Don, if a listener's interested in talking more about the topics we touched on today, what's the best way to hit you up? Uh, LinkedIn, website, what would, what's easier for you? What would you prefer? LinkedIn is great, but I can also be reached direct at dhenderson at evokedcs.com. Excellent, Donna. Thank you so much for taking the time. It's been great having you on the show. Great fun. Thanks so much. All right, everybody that does it for this episode, check us out at b2brevexec.com. You know the drill. Share the episode, friends, families, coworkers. If you like what you hear, do us a favor, write us a review on iTunes. And until next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.